Hello and welcome back to the Elevate Music podcast in partnership with Help Musicians. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this podcast I talk to artists and musicians about some of the challenges they face in their work along with leading experts who offer advice and guidance. In this episode we're looking at parenting and specifically some of the issues that musicians can face when they try to balance work with bringing up young children. I'll be talking later to Cassie Rain from Parents and Performing Arts about the support that parents need and how they can access help. But first, I spoke to Juanita Stein, former frontwoman of Howling Bells and solo artist. Juanita told me about her experiences as a musician mum, along with some of the unexpected positives that came about after becoming a parent. Could you start by telling me a bit about your career so far? I started writing songs in my bedroom kind of thing when I was 11, 12. I told myself to play guitar. I then started a band with my brother called Waikiki and we made a record and we toured and did okay in Australia. And then, and then we started Howling Bells and moved to London in like 2005 and made four records, toured a bunch, and then I started making solo records a few years ago, four years ago or something. So that's a very, very, very brief nutshell of my career. (laughs) So did you find things changed at all when you had your daughter? I mean, logistically, yes, it gets a bit more difficult. Uh, You have to work harder at organizing tours. Tours become a lot more challenging. You know, I recall having to do a few shows and having to pump and dump kind of thing after shows and like store away milk and work with her sleeping schedule. But for me, I think I was fortunate in the fact that my husband is a tour manager and incredibly supportive of my career. So I know that I'm very, very lucky in that respect. And I think that were I to not have his support and were we not to be a great team and figure out how to do this together, there's no way I could I could have made that work. There's just no way. So it takes a lot of teamwork. And with that, we got through what we needed to get through. And that's logistically. Emotionally, I actually anticipated things being a lot harder, but they weren't. Actually, for me, what I found was once you break through the surface of motherhood, there's a certain invincibility that comes with that. Mentally and emotionally, I felt like I could tackle anything at that point. And in fact, I became more consumed and more compelled to push through and continue writing music. It sounds like that initial period is quite challenging. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how, you know, how for self-employed musicians whose lives are so busy and, and so full and, and quite demanding already, how, how is that possible to, to sort of navigate that, that space? So like I said, I think having a support network is absolutely imperative. I think if you are self-employed, which most musicians are, if you're struggling a lot of the time, which most musicians are, and then you go and have a, a kid, you're in the deep. I mean, you're really in deep and it's incredibly demanding of you as a person, as a woman, as a musician, as as an artist. So I think if you don't have that support around you. And for me, you know, my parents were incredibly supportive. My husband, like I said, my God, it must be hard. There was a good year where I didn't do anything because I was so consumed. For me, it was 
absolutely integral that I gave Daisy every bit of me. And then I started to, I had to kind of reconcile with this person that I had been for decades and this new person who I didn't know very well. And how do you integrate those people and make one foundation of a person? So that's what I mean by breaking through, trying to find who you are essentially as a mother and a musician. You mentioned before about how important that support network is and how amazing your husband's been. I know Chris Martin was campaigning for shared parental leave for self-employed people because he was saying how vital it is to have that sort of partnership, you know, when you're bringing up small children. Is, is this something you've come across at all? Where I see the struggle is where one parent is a quote-unquote professional and the other parent is a creative. And because of the inconsistencies with creative life, it's very, very, very challenging to pin that down and to figure out how to support that because of the inconsistencies. If you're a working professional and you're, you know, you're working that nine to five job, it's a lot easier to deal with that. It all comes down to support. I mean, there were many times where I was doing gigs and like the babysitter fell through at the last minute and you just need help. You just need support. Can we go back to the bit that you were saying about how motherhood made you feel invincible and like you could achieve anything after you kind of broke through? Can you tell me more about that period and that state of mind? For me personally, I, I felt invincible in the sense that it is such an equally traumatic and extraordinary experience to have that any challenges post that just paled in comparison. So, you know, having a tiff with your record label or not selling as many records as you wanted or, you know, the video director not cutting a good video. I mean, it really, really does sort out your priorities. So that's what I mean by feeling invincible. You just, I felt a lot stronger and I felt a lot more confident. I felt a lot more confident in myself. And I don't know why exactly, but it's just something that happened. And what about creativity? How did motherhood affect your creativity? I think what it did was it forced me to focus a lot more because I had to. Years touring and making records in a band, you just kind of create your own routine around yourself. What time you wake up, what time you go to sleep, when you feel like being creative, when you want to make a record and then all of a sudden you're a mum and you literally have to organise your life around a child. So it forced me to become a lot more focused and harness that energy a lot quicker, which I'm okay with because I like, I like to get, get it done. And did you find you could do that? Did you find you could just say, okay, here's like two hours to write a song and you could do it to order? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't always work. But, you know, you kind of set aside time to write certain hours every day and sometimes that worked and that's great and sometimes it didn't. But you you had to kind of be a lot more organised. I read somewhere that you said that when you first had your daughter, it kind of enabled you to see the world almost through her eyes. And when she was discovering things, that kind of almost sort of sparked some creativity in you. I wondered if you could elaborate a bit on that, because I loved that quote. Yeah, well, I think that you definitely gain a different perspective. And if you weren't already, you know, a 
highly charged and empathic person to begin with, you certainly become that once you have a kid, just for the fact that you do see the world through their eyes. It breaks me down a lot more, but it's, I feel a lot more elation than I would normally. So it's definitely a, a seesaw of emotions, but I guess what I was trying to say was that you become a lot more engaged and, oh my God, so just a lot more emotional. Do you think there's anything that the music industry can do to support parents better? I mean, that's a good question. You know, I think that were there to be, you know, I'm very aware of like the financial support that musicians get in Canada because that's where my husband's from. And I know that a lot of artists get financial support through government grants and things like that. Not necessarily parents, but the funds are there to support musicians. So if you do happen to be a new mother, a father who's, you know, a single dad, whatever, that financial support is absolutely fundamental for either touring or recording or furthering your career as a musician. I don't know if it's outrageous to think that there could be a grant system or financial support in place for parents who are musicians. But I think if there were obviously a greater pool of funds for artists in general in this country, that would be absolutely immense. And finally, can you tell me, is there any projects that you're working on that you're looking forward to for the future? I mean, apart from just promoting this album, Snapshot, and hopefully going on tour in May, I've started doing a bit of songwriting, working on writing songs for other people, which I'm very interested in. I would love to do that. That's something That's something else I would love to tap into. I've been doing that for a good many years, but it's just an ongoing process. That was Juanita Stein, and if you want to listen to her new album, Snapshot, check it out on Spotify. This episode of the Elevate Music podcast is supported by Help Musicians, an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated program of health and welfare, creative funding opportunities and business support, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Up next is Cassie Rain, actor and founder of the charity Parents in Performing Arts. Cassie spoke to me about their work supporting performer parents and how they're currently expanding into the music sector. Let's hear from Cassie. Could you start by telling me generally a bit about the work that you do? Parents and Carers was started five years ago by myself and my co-founder, Anna Danailov. And I am an actor and Anna was a director. And the reason we started it was because we both had young kids and we realized that we weren't able to continue working in the way that we had been. I was brought up to believe that I was equal. And then suddenly here I was with a, with a young baby not being able to go to work and pretty much, you know, stuck in the house. And it was a real surprise to me. And then we got together and we kind of did some workshops around a play that Anna was rehearsing at the time. And we looked around and realized, hang on a minute, if this is affecting us, it must be affecting far more people than us. And we're relatively privileged, I I suppose, in lots of ways, you know, and and what about the other people? What about people who work backstage, who, you know, have to do 70 hours a week? What about people in dance and music? 
across the sector. So we, we called a meeting with the Young Vic Theatre they hosted it. We didn't know if anybody would turn up. And in the event, we had over 400 people and 70 babies came to this event, basically to discuss whether this was an issue. And it turned out it was a massive issue for loads of people. And it wasn't something that was ever really talked about. You know, it was caring responsibilities at that time, five years ago, was was kind of invisible. You know, and I think that it has changed in society and also in the performing arts hugely since then, but we've still got a long way to go. So after we set up this meeting, we had to work out a plan. There were too many people there to kind of let it slide. And so we came together as a consortium of organizations in the theater because that was our background that was what we knew and we started doing some research to find out the extent of the issue with caring responsibilities there's always a lot of anecdotal evidence but there's no data there was no data when we started and the only data that there is now is data that we have collected you know and if you want to make a case to an industry to change you need the facts you need to you know build a business case as it were So we set about this kind of program of research, you know, that really is ongoing today and that underpins everything that we do. From this research, we grew a program, which is what we now call the PIPA Charter Program. And so it's a monitoring and evaluation framework. And we work primarily with employers to help them become more family friendly One of our initial pieces of research culminated in a best practice charter, which is a set of 10 guiding principles about how the sector can become more family friendly. For the past five years, we've worked in theatre and we are just, last year, we just started working in music. We work with our strategic partners in music. We work with the Musicians Union, um, the MU, UK Music, and we're just starting to build that body of research. And so over the next year, one of our key focuses is going to be research in music. And I think one of the things we've realized over the last five years is that whilst there is a lot of crossover between the sectors, between theatre, dance and music, there are also lots of differences, lots of idiosyncrasies. And it's really important that if you're going to promote solutions that they are specific to the needs of the sector, that they are a direct response to the need of the sector and that they are to an extent industry-led. You know, it's not a question of us coming in and saying, this is how you need to do it. It's a question of us kind of going, these are our resources. This is the data that we've collected. What do you think would work in your sector? What are the solutions that you can see possible and sustainable within the parameters that you're you're working in. So obviously you haven't started that research yet, but just from initial conversations, what do you see as some of those differences? We have done research that has included musicians. So Mm -hmm. for example, last year we did the Balancing Act survey and we had 2,000 respondents and 500 of those were from the music industry. So we do have some data around that. I think one of the key differences that came out of that research is around people's second incomes. So we did a lot of research on median earnings in the sector. Um, We identified firstly that 
in the performing arts as a whole, and this translates to music, there is a carer's penalty. And so what that means is that parents and carers earn approximately £3,000 less per year than those without caring responsibilities. And then in music, if you consider that the median earning, as it was in our research, is £20,000, you know, that £3,000, especially when you've got kids or other people that you look after, you know, that's a, that's a sizable chunk. And then for performers, for musicians, is even harder. So from the people that responded to our data, the median wages of musicians were £12,000. So if you're on a, a £3,000 deficit, that's going to be a significant pinch point. Um, Another thing that came out of that research that was really interesting for me is that out of the cohort that we surveyed, there were more parents and carers in the music sector who presented than in theatre and dance. That might just be because our message is kind of just reaching parents and carers in music, but it was 20% more, which is significant. But in addition to that, there were significantly fewer primary carers. So how we categorise primary carers, it's people who do 70% of the childcare or more. There were more parents and carers, fewer primary carers, and more male respondents in other sectors. What that suggests is that there is a potential link between gender equality and caring responsibilities in music where it could potentially be significantly more challenging to be the primary carer. And we know through much wider research and evidence that the primary carer is predominantly women. So this is something that we will be conducting some focus groups over the next few months to look into more. You mentioned a charter that you can uh, work with employers to make sure that they understand the responsibilities for for carers and parents. How does that work when the vast majority of the workforce is self-employed? That's a key question. And obviously, my background is as an actor and as a a director. We were freelance for years. We know the deal. And when you look at the music industry, there are even more freelancers. But we do have a lot of data on freelancers. And again, that is going to be a focus over the next year. But there are nonetheless certain things that employers can do to support freelancers. And I think that COVID has highlighted the needs of freelancers, I think because they've been hardest hit potentially out of all the groups. And so certainly in the theatre sector, people have had to kind of go, right, how are we going to support freelancers? What are we going to do? What is our offer? How can we increase increase opportunities? I think actually that there has been a huge kind of awakening of the value of freelancers. And it's one thing to support freelancers when they are in work, and it's another to support them to access work. So lots of parents and carers are really at risk of leaving the industry, of falling off the radar. And this is something that we have evidenced, and specifically for freelance parents and carers, whose careers just kind of can fizzle out without any major event. So how do we work as a sector to retain those carers and parents who are freelancers? How do we work to maintain that connection at a crucial point when people, you know, are feeling isolated? And again, with COVID, it's interesting because, you know, it's been a period where artists and industry professionals have been isolated or removed from work. And what we've seen over the last few months is a real concerted effort to keep people in the industry you know and one of the things that keeps coming back time and time again from our research is that 
women feel isolated during maternity leave. They don't have access to go to shows, to go to concerts, to go to gigs, to keep up with the industry. And so they kind of leave and then they take maternity leave and they come back and it's completely changed. And, you know, that can have a huge impact on confidence or self-esteem or just, you know, sheer kind of credits. So what support is there out there for musicians at the moment? Well, that is a good question. We work closely with help musicians. You know, help musicians have been phenomenal throughout the COVID crisis and also before. We've partnered with them on a lot of our research and I know that they make a lot of funds available and they do support parents and carers. I have also heard that PRS Foundation in, in some of their work they have made it possible for people with caring responsibilities to take part in their programs by offering financial support to cover some of the expenses that they, you know, that they might incur. I think in terms of financial support, I think we've got a long way to go. You know, I think we heard about a universal basic wage and you've mentioned shared parental leave. For me, one of the key things is from government is about paternity allowance. So if you are a self-employed mother, you are entitled to maternity allowance, which is uh, paid leave while you look after your child. But if you're a father, there's no equivalent. You're not entitled to anything if you're self-employed. And for me, you know, that sends a really clear message about whose job it is to look after the children. That's a real inequality that is embedded in our system that needs to be addressed. And then there is stuff that employers can do as well. And in music, we don't know what that's going to look like yet. You know, where is the duty of care? Who would that sit with? I think these are all things that we're going to investigate. But certainly one of the things that we have in theatre is what our partners call a pipa pot. So the point is, is everybody is going to come up against a childcare emergency. Everyone is going to come up against a situation where your childcare falls through. You're meant to be on stage in like four hours and you've got your child with you. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do and who, who's going to support you? And so the, the aim of the Pippa pot, it's kind of like a contingency pot of money that is in a budget line already that people are able to use in an emergency situation. It's trying to anticipate Mm. the support that might be needed in advance so you're not, you know, dealing with it in an emergency crisis situation. You know that that money is there. So Juanita spoke about identity issues and um, how she kind of changed. She felt like she changed quite significantly after becoming a mother. We know that musicians really strongly identify with, you know, being a musician is inherent to their personality. You know, it's not just a job. With that in mind, have you heard much about how a musician kind of experiences that shift? Is this something you've come across? What was the word Juanita used? Invincible. And I love this. I absolutely love this. And, and I relate to that. I feel becoming a parent, you know, lots of people do come into their own, but it has a very different effect on lots of people. You know, some people are too exhausted to be able to create anything or face financial difficulties that inhibit their ability to kind of submerge themselves into creating music. You know, the mental health implications therefore are also incredibly real if you're not able to do what you love. And then there are others like, you know, who have this really strong impetus and to create, you know, I think 
creating a family is almost like the ultimate act of creation. I don't know. I mean, I sometimes wonder whether when people give birth, that's when, you know, that creative energy is the most magnified within them. There are lots of artists who explore this shift in their identity and their work. Imogen Heap, her terrific song, Tiny Humans, or Lily Allen, who sang about her relationship with her two daughters, Alicia Keys, Adele. You know, there's loads. And it's a seismic shift in your relationship with yourself and with the world. And then, obviously, of course, with your work. And so if there's a musician listening who maybe is pregnant at the moment and is slightly daunted about what is ahead, you know, in terms of having a freelance career, what would your advice be? It would be firstly that everybody's parenting experience is different. And I think that's the key. There is no one way and there's no right way. And equally, in terms of supporting people, that there isn't really one size fits all. So what that means is that you have to be bold. You have to communicate. You have to communicate what you think you might need. I think, you know, before you go on maternity leave, you don't really know what you might need, but with an employee, for example, you would make a plan with your line manager. You'd make a a plan of return. And it's possible to do that with your manager or, or whoever it is that you work with. How do you want to be communicated with whilst you're on maternity? Do you want people to completely leave you alone? Do you want to come back to work after three months? You know, because on the one hand, people don't want to bother you when you're on maternity leave. But on the other hand, you know, with my agent, for example, I got a call after a couple of months saying, we've got some castings for you. You know, I wasn't really ready to go back at that time, but I felt obliged. And so I went. And so it's good to kind of set out a roadmap, if you like, you know, to the extent that you can. And then if you kind of lose your way along the line, you can refer to it or you can say, hey, look, you know, we did this. I'm not really feeling like that now. These are how my needs have changed. I'd also say, don't be afraid to ask for what you need. I think Mm -hmm. the more that people ask, the more that this will become the norm. The more that we will make the invisible visible. We're used to musicians asking for all sorts of stuff in their riders, right? Mm -hmm. So how about asking for a fridge to store your milk in that you've pumped so it's not wasted, you know, or you're not expressing down the toilet or down the sink, which, you know, we've all done. What about asking for a nanny or childcare or somebody to come with you on tour? Or, you know, asking somebody to find out, is there any local childcare? Are there any family-friendly digs? You know, these are all things that our partners kind of do as standard now, a lot of them. Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. That was Cassie Rain. And if you want to find out more about parents and performing arts, have a look at pippacampaign.org. That's P-I-P-A campaign.org. Thank you to Juanita and Cassie for speaking to me. And don't forget, you can find out more about the topics we've discussed today in the episode's show notes. If you'd like to get in touch to share your story, you can email elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or contact us on social media at elevatemusicpod on Twitter and Instagram. You've been listening to the Elevate Music podcast with me, Lucy Heyman. And if you would like to find out more about my research and work, have a look at lucyheyman.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen Entertainment in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity which provides essential and enduring support to make a meaningful difference to the lives of professional musicians. Thank you for listening. Remember to check out our show notes and visit helpmusicians.org.uk if you need some help.
In the meantime, take care and we'll be back with another episode in two weeks.